Good morning, everybody. Well, you just seen it. New video must mean new series. And you know how much I love new things. I love new things. New things are the best. Side note, quick shout out to Eddie for the, for the dope video. Did y'all uh, appreciate that? You like that one? Did you see yourself? Some of y'all have probably seen yourself. Shout out to Eddie for that. I'm excited to be, uh, to be here with you all this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church. Um, I can't believe it either. I know, all right? But I'm glad to be with you. About, let's see, it's been about a year now. Maybe, yeah, it's been about a year. Uh, about a year ago, I was invited um, by uh, my family in-law uh, to go to a concert at, uh, at, what's it called now? It's the Jake to me, but what's it called now? Progressive. Yeah, Progressive. Right, Jacob's Field. That's what I said. Okay. Um, so we go up there. It's a, it's a concert, and the artist, the featured artist that evening is Billy Joel. How many of y'all have heard of Billy Joel? Okay, all right, we got the back half. I didn't think the front half would know, but I knew the back half would. I knew y'all would. Um, so Billy Joel, for those of you who don't know, has been an artist for like ever. And it's okay that you don't know who he is, because if I'm being completely honest with you, all I knew that he did until that night was the piano man, right? Yeah, 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 that's him. I'd like think about that. Um, but as I learned that night, there's like all kinds of stuff that he did. Like pretty much like any song that I like from the 70s, 80s, or 90s, that dude was either on or did. It's pretty crazy. I actually learned that I really liked somebody who I had no idea who they were. That's not the point. So while I was sitting there, there was uh, a family in, front, in the row in front of us. And I'm not going to point out uh, the, in, the, the, the sweet uh, lady in front of me's age, um, but let's just say she was from a different generation. And while the concert was going on, she decided that she, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm projecting a little bit, I don't literally know her thoughts, but I feel like she wanted to be able to remember this concert forever. So she decided with her cell phone that she was going to record as much of the concert, as many songs as she could. And so every so often, she would hold up her phone and she would pan the stadium so that she could get, you know, a video of the atmosphere. And then she'd go to Billy Joel and she would like zoom in on the stage. She knew how to like zoom in, which is amazing because what she didn't know how to do was push the record button. So the whole time she's getting these videos, but she's not getting these videos. Then she would go to her messages in her size 72 text font, would text who I assume is her daughter, and say and, and try to like go in her photo library to send her the videos, and they weren't there. And she would look at her friends around her in amazement. Where did they go? They disappeared. These videos, I just took it for like 10 minutes. Where did they go? And then she would still be holding up her phone for their text conversations, likely because she didn't have her glasses. And so she, I'm just literally right in front of my face, not trying to, but I can't help it. I'm just reading her whole conversation. 
And at one point, the person that she's texting, whoever it was, says, man, where are you at? And I wanted to be like, not here. Don't you dare say at the Billy Joe concert because you ain't here. You somewhere else. I don't know what you are. I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something else. And she's, she's like, I'm at the concert. Then the climax, she says, when he plays Uptown Girl, I will take a video and send it to you. Because apparently the individual on this other end, she replies, she says, I love that song. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Heart, heart, heart. So I'm like, okay, that one's important to her. And man, this was a long concert. Okay, so about 30 minutes later, this man, this man played for hours. And probably 30, 45 minutes after I witnessed that text conversation, he finally does it. He plays Uptown Girl. And she had already missed about four or five more videos at this point. And so, but this was her moment. This was her shot at redemption. If she can just get Uptown Girl, it's all going to be okay. And she just, she holds it up. And here it comes. Dun, dun, dun. And she's, you know, she's around and she's looking. But she hasn't hit record. And it's driving me nuts. And I couldn't handle it anymore. And so I reached over her shoulder. And I pushed the button for her. And she looks at me and she goes, oh. And she got the whole video. I made sure she stopped it. And she sent it to her daughter. And her daughter sent heart eyes emojis back. And all was well. She was so consumed. She was so consumed by this technology that she hadn't quite figured out. She was so consumed by this device that connects us all. She's so consumed with getting a video that she's completely missing the whole experience. She's missing the music. She's missing the atmosphere. She's completely missing and borderline disrupting the people around her. The whole experience. Would you rather watch videos of cool stuff all day, on repeat, as much as you wish? Or would you rather experience something real? Would you rather have something to post for all your friends to see where you were? Or would you rather not worry about that and experience something real? Where are you at? Right now, when you're in these places, where are you at? Are you missing what's all around you? I believe technology and the interconnectedness thereof does actually present a theological issue that we are missing. Now, don't worry. This is not a series on why you should put your phone down. But if that is a byproduct of this series, then praise God. And just to be clear, technology, iPhones, other things, they do not cause this theological issue. But it is a contribution. And the issue is people not taking seriously enough these spaces that God has placed them in 
on purpose. You ever stop and think that you're witnessing something not because this is Instagram worthy or because your followers would be interested, but because you are meant to be something in this moment, that you are meant to do something in this moment, that you are meant to see this for a reason. Maybe there's some healing that's about to take place. Maybe there's some prayer that's about to take place. Maybe this is something that God's been trying to get through you all along, but you prefer to hold a lens in between you and the real experience. Does that sound like anybody today, or is that just me? This series is different from the one that we just got out of. The last series uh, called Loyalty and Royalty is going through the book of Ruth. Hey, praise God. Uh, God, you know, God did his thing. I love series like that. They're my favorite types of series to go through where you just get to go verse by verse through a book. This is different than that. This is more of a theological study. But don't worry. My promise to you as pastors that I will never teach any form of theology without teaching you what it's useful for. I promise. And so what I want to talk about for the next several weeks is this theology of place. Everybody say, theology of place. And the theology of place, I'm like, how do I put this in a sentence or kind of like a run-on sentence or maybe two sentences? How do I do this? I call up my brother James. I'm like, bro, how do I do this? Let's talk about this, whatever, whatever. He's He's like, this is what you tell him. The theology of place, it's the biblical understanding that we have been intentionally placed by God in the spaces in which we exist. Means the places where you exist the most, home, work, etc. You're there on purpose, you've been placed there by God. And we have a responsibility to see those places and spaces changed for Jesus. We must start our time together with an understanding of the importance of physical place throughout the story of Scripture. I could go on for eons. I'm not going to. Instead, for the sake of implementing this theology in our own lives, I would like to start our understanding by looking at the importance of all the ways that God placed himself in this world. Do you know that this morning? Do you know That God had an intention for this world, God had a plan, and his design was perfect, and it was beautiful, and we messed it up? Do you know that all throughout the Old Testament, there have been ways where God has made an effort at making it okay again, and we have continuously messed it up? Well, God had had enough of that. And so he's like, the only way this story is going to be able to change is if somebody listens to me. And ain't nobody going to listen to me, so let me go ahead and take the ball and put myself in the story. And that changed everything. So let's do it. Let's look at how we did it. Let's start. Matthew chapter 1. It's the beginning of the New Testament. If you open your Bibles, you see the New Testament. It's the very first book. And good news for you, we're going to the very first chapter. More good news, we're going to the very first verse. Matthew 1.1. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, the descendants of David and of Abraham. And here's where it starts. It starts with Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Let me save us some time. Can we go ahead and skip down to verse 16? There's a whole lot of words in there. 
a whole lot of families in there, a whole lot of generations in there, but here's where we need to get to. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So similar to the way we ended last week, we read to start the Gospels, to start the New Testament, to start the New Promise, we read a genealogy. Everybody say genealogy. It's basically like Ancestry.com before that existed. You feel? It's like a tracing back of like where everybody came from. And basically the point of this, the genealogy is traced through Jewish royal lineage because Matthew's audience was mostly Jews. And so he's like, hey, you're going you're gonna to care about this. And so he starts naming all these big names. He's like, I'm talking about Abraham. I'm talking about Isaac. I'm talking about David. I'm talking about, and they're like, okay, 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 okay. It gets down to Joseph. He's like, and Joseph, Joseph goes with Mary, and Mary has this baby named Jesus. What does it say? That God would choose to send Jesus to be born as an infant, carried and birthed by a human, particularly in this lineage. What does that say? After all, God created everything. God created everything out of nothing, so couldn't he just appear? Couldn't he just, there he is, full grown. Ready to wreck some stuff. I just had to do it one more time. Well, he sure as heck could. You're absolutely right, he could. But he doesn't. Because if he would have, he would have missed an opportunity at redeeming those he chose at the beginning of your Bibles. And God, this, 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 this right here, this one's for free. Don't process, process this now. Process this one on your way home. This one's for free. God never misses an opportunity to redeem somebody. God never misses an opportunity. Hey, redemption coming up. I got you. There it goes. We might miss it. We might miss the mess out of it time and time again. But God never misses an opportunity to redeem somebody. And he comes through this family. This family, this family is jacked up. It is all sorts of messed up. You think your family's bad? Let me tell you. I can't tell you right now. It's a long story, but it's crazy. It's, it's a lineage full of rulers and authorities that were supposed to be big and glorified, and they fell flat. It's a lineage full of scandal, full of outsiders, full of people we're not supposed to like, full of rape, full of incest, full of murder. It's a family that was meant for something bigger, something so much bigger that we can't even comprehend, and they failed publicly in front of the world. But the whole thing is redeemed. A whole people are redeemed. A whole history is redeemed because what we remember now is, oh, that's the bloodline of Jesus. Ain't that something? We don't remember some of what I just said. You're like, really? All that's in Jesus' bloodline? Sure is. Go back and look through it. Some of you just learned that for the very first time. Isn't that funny how we don't know that? It's because it's all redeemed. That's the lineage of Jesus. Praise God. Point number one. God places himself within family. 
Many of us have highly dysfunctional families. Can I get, can I get one? Some of us may not even choose to refer to our biological relatives as family. Some of us find family, see what I did there, family in relationship with those closest to us rather than those whose blood flows in our veins. And as we learned earlier this summer, God's intention, God's perfect design for creation is actually to exist within family. But just like the royal lineage we just read, all of our families have brokenness. Amen? So God chooses to place himself within family. Why? So he can redeem family. In order to accept our theological place, in order to accept our own theology of place, wherever God has placed us, we must accept where we have been placed within our own families, within our own familial dynamics. And we must accept that no matter what it is, no matter what the situation, pastor, you don't understand, I was, I know. Pastor, you ain't see, he, I know. No matter what the dynamic, God has a plan to redeem it all. Or, God has a plan to use it all for somebody else's redemption. Was that not the story of Ruth that we just got done? Go back and listen to it again. God has a plan to redeem it all. And we must accept that God has that plan and give in to it. I got to keep going. Let's go to Mark. So we were in Matthew. Here's the fun part. Just go to the next book. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Only two verses here. I love the Gospel of Mark. If you're looking for a good place to start and you never read the Bible before, you don't even know how you feel about Jesus, stop starting the Gospel of Mark. It's the, it's, it's, it is straightforward and simple. I love Mark. Mark is my dude. All right, here we go. He says, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee. So Jesus is already born. He don't even mess with that, with that part. He says, he says that he goes into Galilee to preach God's good news. And this is what Jesus says. This should be in red letters. Here we go. It says, the time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. What I love about the gospel of Mark is that he wastes no time. This is chapter 1. Jesus is already full grown, ready to, ready to go. Mark is going to introduce Jesus by saying, there's this guy named John. He was sent to tell everybody about Jesus. Then Jesus showed up, so John baptized Jesus. God was happy about it, and now here we are. This is what Jesus says, first thing. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Mark writes that Jesus came specifically to announce the good news. Good news to Mark's audience would be that the reign of God, the time of God, the nearing of the kingdom is right now. Generations of disobedience and 400 years of silence later, that time is now, fellas. What we see in this statement is a willingness from Jesus to be subject to time. 
But he is still talking about a moment, an event, and an, an interruption, if you will, so powerful that it can't be defined by time. That's what, you, that's what you get when you read the Greek. There's all sorts of different words for time, and there's all sorts of different meanings. But what we need to understand, the long and short of it, is that God is outside of time. God cannot be confined by time. But God came into time for a reason. And the reason, if you track with me from point one, is to redeem time. The reason is to declare that nothing, absolutely, I mean not one single thing, from this moment right here, Jesus says, this moment right here, from this moment forward, it ain't never gonna be the same, not one thing. Never. And it does not matter what time of day it is, what season of life that we find ourselves in, any time can be the time for God to work something out. That's what it means for God to reign in time. Any time can be the time. Point number two. God places himself within time. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer. What time is it? How many of you in this audience just thought in your head, game time? Good. These are my people right here. All four of you. These are my people. Listen, one of my favorite moments playing sports growing up is that hype up leading up to the game. Somebody comes into the huddle and they yell, what time is it? Game time. What time is it? Game time. What don't you ever say? What time is it? Time to get dressed. What time is it? Lay up line time. What time is it? Time to make eye contact with my mom. See if she'll go to the concession stand, give me a power raise, some popcorn. I can eat it in the locker room on the end of the bench. Time. Huh. Never. You don't ever say nothing like that. Even if you think it, you don't say it. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to the kingdom of God and the spread of his good news, it is game time. Yes, we know that the victory is coming. But until that horn sounds, shout out to Revelation, it's game time. You don't stop. Till the buzzer goes. It's game time. We know that victory's coming. We know we need to get after it. And yet, we find ourselves making excuses. We find ourselves playing the waiting game. Or as I like to uh, call it out to be disguised as the, 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 long, the long game. I'm playing the long term. That doesn't make sense for me right now. Long term, that doesn't, that doesn't that don't make sense. We only act in preparation. We only get dressed. We only pull our socks up. We only go through layup lines. We only get ourselves hyped up with pregame music. But we never get in the game. We never check in. We never do anything about it. We sit there and think, man, I can't wait for this. But then we just sit there. The time is now. We are standing or sitting here now. We are around the people that we're around all the time, not in the long game, now. We are doing whatever it is that we do on a daily basis now. 
God came into time so that we will stop looking for and waiting for a clock slash calendar time. Instead, he wants us to be so in tune to the Holy Spirit now so that any moment he chooses to do something, we're ready. Are you ready? If God were to tell you to do something right now, if God were to whisper in your ear right now, go pray with that person. Go over here. Go do this. If God were to whisper that in your ear right now, are you ready? Are you going to begin making steps to see that done? Come on, we got to keep going. Let's go. Let's go to the next one. Luke. I love this. This is fun. Y'all having fun? I love this. Go to the next one. Luke. Chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read, read this quickly. Here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. That's not one of those words that when you see it and you read it in the Bible, you're like, Oh, that must have meant something different back then because that's awkward that that's in there. No, that means it. That means she's a virgin. Her name's Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared, the angel, he, to her, and he says, Greetings, favor woman, the Lord is with you. Well, that's comforting. Confused and disturbed, though, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. That's a good question, Mary. The angel told her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she's conceived a son, and she's now six months pregnant. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And the angel left her. So here we have our typical Christmas story, right? We have our 14-year-old our, our girl uh, who is just told that she's going to carry the child of God. She's a virgin. Uh, uh, she's young. She's engaged. She can't possibly be pregnant. An angel comes up out of nowhere, surprise, says, hey, you're going to have a baby. She's like, uh, I don't know if you like how it works in the heavenly realm, but down here on earth, it don't, you don't just, you know, it don't just work like that. There's some things you got to do, and that things that you got to do, I ain't never done before, and so I can't possibly be pregnant. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. And he breaks it all down to her. And what, what I love so much is her response. What isn't said in this passage, but is likely understood, is that she's going to go through it because of this. Not just the agony of pregnancy. If you've ever been pregnant or been married to somebody who has been pregnant, you know what I'm talking about. That's, 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 not, that's not the only part of it. She's going to be scrutinized. She's going to be looked at crooked. She's going to be called a cheater. She's going to be likely outcast. 
This ain't going to be no easy road. But Mary's response, she says, I serve the Lord. May it be so. So what begins to grow inside of her literally is the Messiah, the Savior, the hero to all of our stories. To me, the fact that knowing all of this but Mary is willing to say yes is equally as miraculous and mind-blowing as the fact that she's conceiving a child without, you know. Point three, God places himself within the bodies of those who are willing to receive. The incarnation, that's what we just read. The incarnation tells us that God chose to dwell within the womb of a virgin to make his miraculous debut on earth. But the doctrine of the Holy Spirit tells us that God chooses to dwell within the bodies of those who receive the grace and truth of Jesus Christ in their lives right now. God is still making a habit of dwelling within people. As we learn from both, when God enters our bodies... Anything is possible. Anything at all is possible. I'm talking about healing. Things that you thought were never going to be better can be better. I'm talking about strength. When you don't think you can finish the day, the strength is there to tired, to strengthen your tired knees, to strengthen and tighten your grip. The strength is there. I'm talking about wisdom. When you're faced with some situation that you don't know because you don't know and you definitely don't know how to deal, the wisdom is there. I'm talking about when God is prompting you to say something, but you don't know how to say what you want to say. The words of wisdom, the words of knowledge, the prophetic voice is there. It's amazing. This is also why... We need to take care of our bodies. Man. I feel like they're trying to tell me something. We're going to ignore it. Mobilization of his people is God's salvation plan for the world. As one of my favorite professors of all time used to always say, you ain't no threat to the enemy sitting in a lawn chair eating flaming Hot Cheetos all day. You're no threat. God's salvation plan for the world is the mobilization of his people. You better be healthy enough to move. Our bodies are still a dwelling place for our Lord. And when we submit to his authority from within us, anything is possible. Stay with me. Let's go one more. One more gospel. The book of John. One more. Fourth quarter. Chapter 1. Verse 9. Is my favorite. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human, and he made his home among us. Somebody get that tattoo. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full 
of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I could spend 15 weeks on John chapter 1, but I have just two minutes. God did not just adopt and become family. God did not just interrupt time and space as we know it. God did not just come into human form and continue to dwell within us so that we can do incredible things. God came into the very world that he created and lived with us. He became one of us. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He gave up his divine privileges. He made the world he created that had fallen and gone away from him his home. Think about, not right now, but like later when you're processing, think about what it takes to make something a home. Jesus made the very world that he was a part of making, the very world that had turned his back on him, the very world that was going the wrong direction, his home. He chose to live there. That bad little neighborhood, he chose to live there. Point four, God places himself within the physical world. The Lord of all things came into the physical world to live where he was physically placed, to love where he was physically placed, to bless and put his hands on and redeem where he was physically placed. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we love where we're placed? Why don't we bless and work on redeeming where we're placed? We're so obsessed with what is happening elsewhere. We're so obsessed with our next move. We're so obsessed with planning for the next four to ten that we've completely missed where we're at. And we don't have love for where God has us now. Anyone who knows me knows I love this city. Knows I love this city. But I was not born and raised here. And believe it or not, this place didn't attract me from far away. It's not like it was this shining beam and I was like, someday I'll live in Canton. No, none of that. I didn't like try to make it there. You know what I'm saying? I ended up here low-key on accident. And even up until my last year of college, I'm looking at these job offers from all over the United States. My mentors and professors are like, yo, Chicago is a cool place. Yo, New Orleans is a dope place. Yo, you could go do this. Yo, did you see what this one pays? All this kind of stuff. And I'm not completely sold on where I'm going, but those of you who talk to me now know, I'll tell you real quick, outside of the audible voice of God, I ain't going nowhere. Outside of the audible voice of God saying, Corey, you ain't been listening to me. Get your butt up and move. I'm not going anywhere. This is my home. Canton is my home, but not because I chose to be here, but because God made it my home. God physically placed me here. And he said, stay. Those of you who talk to me know that. Sometimes we're so anxious to be used someday that we miss the place that we're in. Someday, sometimes we're so anxious for the ministry opportunities of someday. When I can make this much, I'll do this. 
When I can have this type of house, I'll do this. When I can be this type of speaker, I'll do this. And we completely miss where we've been placed now. Sometimes we just need to be a little more open that God is no dummy and nothing in no time is wasted in the kingdom of God. And God does, in fact, have something for you in this job. God does, in fact, have something for you in this gym. God does, in fact, have something for you in this neighborhood, in this city. Don't you come at me with that energy of, I just need to get out of Canton. Don't, don't, don't. If you're going to do that, you better make dang sure that you're not the problem because you go with you wherever you go. You feel me? If the problem is within you, if the problem is within the type of company you keep, that goes with you to Florida. That goes with you to Zimbabwe. It ain't Canton. Stop putting that on my city and start looking at yourself. Are you open to what God has for you or for what God has for you to do in the places you most frequently exist? In this series... I want to see us take seriously the theology of place, of where we've been placed. God came to this world in these ways that we just described as a missionary. So we too have been placed in our current context as missionaries. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at what does it mean to be on mission at my place of employment, at my place of residence, at my place of community, at my place of purpose. And I, I'm genuinely excited because there are some awesome stories on the way. There are some awesome stories that we're going to talk about in this series. There's some awesome stories that are going to happen as a result of what God is doing in somebody now. But our hope is that this church would become a people gathered that are living on mission within their own context, within their own place, if you will. A mission that sees our immediate context and the ripple effects thereafter changed for the light of Jesus. Let's pray.